Pilot Boys in the building. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. I am Mecca Don here with my co-host V. What's going on, Mama Mentality for Life? Today is February 27th, 2020. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. V, I'm very excited about today's show. I'm very, very excited. Yes. On today's show, we will talk to Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith about the state of college athletics, management of a huge athletics department, Ryan Day's new extension, the NCAA image and likeness thing, and a lot more. We'll also do some news and notes of popular sports, music, and pop culture stories from around the country, from Joe Burrow, Cleveland Browns drama, Jada Kiss, RIP to Katherine Johnson, and more. Shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Remember that now our $5 and up Patreon subscribers will get our episodes on Wednesdays, a night early. These donations help keep our show going. If you want to help keep us on air, you can donate at www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys Podcast. Thank you to all those who have contributed so far. Let's go. You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast. Our next guest is the Senior Vice President and Wolf Foundation Endowed Athletics Director at The Ohio State University. Please welcome Gene Smith to the Pilot Boys Podcast. What's up, Gene? How are you? Great. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Gene, how are you doing? All right. You doing well? Yes, I am. I am. Yeah, it's, a, it's a, you know, this is full circle in a, in a way. You know, obviously, we've had a relationship with you for a while and interacted you with you on many different levels. Uh, and so it's, it's yeah. awesome to kind of have you on the podcast to talk, talk some stuff that's, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on at Ohio state, but even some of your, your roles have been even bigger than that. Right. And, um, and, you know, you're kind of yeah. a very big figure in, in the world of not just college athletics, but athletics period. And a lot of different issues are changing and moving uh, as we move kind of into the, into 2020. So we wanted to get into some of those things with you and uh, V will kind of jump in and, and kick us off. Yeah, I wanted to kind of start yeah. off with your, your background before you got into athletics. Um, I've, I've read quite a bit about it, and I think before you got into athletics, you spent quite a bit of time at IBM, and in a lot of the interviews and commentary you've had, you've talked about how that has helped you in managing an institution or athletics department of someplace like Ohio State. How do you think that corporate experience um, helped shape your approach to being the athletic director at Ohio State? Well, that's a great question. I, you know, I, I was fortunate. Um, at the time, I was actually I just left coaching. I was going to go and uh, pursue a, a master's degree, probably my MBA. And I met a gentleman uh, from IBM, a regional manager for the area that I was in. And at that particular time, going through IBM training was equivalent to getting your MBA uh, because small computers, business computers, were just entering the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I went to that training and uh, they ultimately uh, gave me the manufacturing and distribution industries to sell computers to. And, and uh, many of the companies that I uh, worked with did not have computers. So I literally had to convince people that computers were not threatening. They were going to replace you. They were tools <laughs> uh, to help you be, be more effective and efficient. Yeah, I was really selling like mad. Right, uh, right. But, so I got it. Ultimately, I was doing well and one of the things that I uh, started to do uh, was seminars, excuse me, was seminars. Um, and that really helped my public speaking skills, gave me some comfort level in front of groups, um, and, it, and it allowed me to be more efficient in my sales. But I, I really think that the, the ability to relate with people from all walks of life uh, was strengthened uh, in my experience as a salesman, uh, because I had to connect with people. It just wasn't about what I was selling. Mm-hmm. It was about getting them to trust me. Right. And, and uh, there some of them were office managers and, and controllers all the way up to presidents of organizations. And so I, and from varying backgrounds. So what I'd learned in sport, how to deal with we, people from all walks of life, 
uh, I was able to actually apply it in, in my IBM experience. So I think that's helped me a lot. Awesome. Absolutely. Um, and, and speaking of that, you've made some very, very impressive improvements with the academic standards. You, we talk a lot about the athletic side, but the academic standards at OSU, um, I've read that uh, OSU students, athletes are achieving an 89% graduation rate. Um, the performance on the field is obviously what gets the attention, but I'd like, we've spoken to you quite a bit about some of the things that you've implemented and the department has implemented to improve uh, the academic standards at Ohio State. would definitely like to hear, hear more about that as well. Well, you know, you guys know me and, you know, I'm passionate about helping young people uh, get an education. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, education just opens up so many doors. And, and so I, um, it's personal for me. It's, it's, it's what I was blessed to experience getting out of the east side of Cleveland. Um, uh, were it not for sport, I would have never gotten the education that I got. And so I, I want to be, I want to make sure that we create an environment where people embrace that. And, and that's what we have with our coaches, all of our su- support staff. So first and foremost was getting changing the culture around how we thought about it. And right. and then recruiting young people who who are passionate about getting it. Yeah. And then you put in place all the different programs. I remember in 2005 when I first came here and, and went to the first scholar-athlete banquet uh, there weren't that many football players and there were no black football players. Mm. And, and that was so disheartening. And so fortunately, Jim Trussell was here and he was committed to that as well. And we ultimately changed that over time. And Urban has done the same thing. The numbers have grown and Ryan is in the same place. So it's really about commitment, passion, recruiting the right young people because this place is not easy to get through. Right. So Right. Especially now, the standards are even higher now yeah. than they were oh. when we were there. Yeah. Oh, 29.5% ACT is the average. Jeez. 65% wow. are in the top 10% of their class. Mm. So when you get into your major, you got to bring it. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just, it's really more about focus and providing support. Um, we have learning specialists to try and help and ascertain if a young person has a, de- a deficiency. What is that deficiency and how do we help them overcome it? So there's a lot of different things we put in place, but most of it is focus and attitude. Yeah. And then one of the things that's been obviously that gets a lot of notoriety, but maybe you could touch on a little bit of how it started as well is the Real Life Wednesdays, which is basically giving these young athletes an opportunity to interact with different people from, you know, the corporate and business sector. And, you know, how did that start? And, and, and uh, you know, where do, where do you see that thing heading as well? Yeah, no, Urban brought that, that uh, particular program here with uh, Real Life Wednesdays with football, and it's done extremely well, putting highly successful people in front of our football players so that they can be inspired. Yeah, by their backgrounds and their experiences and what they've achieved, and and then connect them. Mm-hmm. Um, we were we had a number of sports that was already doing it in, in different ways, and and uh, but now we've we've kind of developed a comprehensive program for all of our sports, basically around career development. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I require all of our sophomores to have a resume, for example. All of our freshmen have to go through financial literacy. Um, and then, and actually in your sophomore year was when we start the conversation of, okay, let's talk about what you ultimately, what might want to do if your sport doesn't allow you to play at the next level. Right. That's awesome. When you sit down and write your first resume, it really comes into light about thinking about what you've done mm-hmm. and what you might want to do. Right. Mm-hmm. So we really, we try and get them going in their sophomore year to start thinking about Okay, what's my career path? Uh, if my particular sport doesn't provide me uh, an opportunity to go to the next level, and so we're last year we had eighty six percent of our student athletes before they graduated in May, they already knew what job they were going to have, whether they were going to grad school or some obviously were going pro. In middle part of January, forty three percent of this year, forty three percent of our our May graduates already knew what they were going to do before they graduated. Mm. And my goal is by May to get north of 90%. Right. Um, I just, you know, we, we have an opportunity to help these young people find a career path and find a job. 
and I want to I want to make sure we stay true to that. So one thing, you know, first of all, that that's awesome, and, and you know, I think you know, I was obviously a former student athlete, and and then we deal with student athletes to this day, and you know, that's one of the things that we always try to tell them to kind of take advantage of under this kind of current structure is that there are a lot of opportunities out there to you know and resources, and then obviously a lot of networking opportunities as well, which I think is probably one of the most valuable things in college. Uh, but w- one of the things that I'm looking at is, you know, when people hear about an athletic director, for example, they, you know, a lot of times they just kind of look at it in the scope of what the most popular sport is, right? So it might be football or basketball. But the reality is, is right. that there are about 20 or so different entities that you're actually managing. Um, tell, talk to well, us about how do you do that and the, and the stress of kind of, you know, making sure that you give enough attention to each one. Yeah, it's uh yeah, we have thirty six sports mm-hmm. and obviously including football and basketball, so it's thirty six sports and so you know, I'm first and foremost unfortunate. You know, my wife um uh, you know was an Olympic athlete, uh, she played basketball for Canada and she coached at Oregon, she was head coach at UNLV, so athleticism's in her blood. Mm-hmm. Um our children played sports. So the biggest thing for me is time. And, you know, just looking at this weekend, uh, we have men's and women's ice hockey on Friday night. Uh, so I'll bounce around to those two. And then Saturday we have synchronized swimming, men's and women's ice hockey, and something else. And so then Sunday we got um, basketball. So we'll go to these events. Uh, I want our student athletes and coaches to, to know uh, that I care about them. We're at a 10 o'clock. Uh, tennis match this past Sunday. Women's tennis took on Arizona State. So having a presence is one. But then I'm fortunate to have a great staff. Right. Um, we have 500 employees, and and um, I got a great leadership team. Uh, we they all share our beliefs, and, and so we we try and make sure we give attention uh, to every single sport the same. We want our rifle actually to use fencing because fencing just won the their conference championships this weekend. Mm-hmm. I want our fencing student athletes to understand to us, they're just as important as our football players. Right. And they had, they should chase their dream just like our football players do. Sure. So we've kind of created that culture and uh, it's really a cool thing. And so, you know, that's, you know, a lot of, one of the things that we like to do on the show is we want, you know, when we bring people like you, we also want to kind of give advice to the next generation. So for someone who wants to actually become an athletic director, for example, I mean, obviously you worked your way up through the ranks. Uh, what are some uh, some tips or some pieces of advice that you would give and, and actually tell the people also what exactly is it that you do from a day to day? I know, obviously, you say you, you attend and, you, you know, you're involved with different programs, but maybe go in a little bit more depth if you can. So the, the job is, is um, uh, really overseeing uh, a large entity. Uh, so, um, you know, we're a $210 million operation, uh, 500 plus employees. Um, and part of those employees actually uh, work at another entity called Business Advancement, uh, where I, cause I oversee the Blackwell, oversee Nationwide Arena, trademark and licensing, the Drake Union on campus, so the Fawcett Center, so I oversee those entities as well. Um, and so when you add their revenue, it's about 130 million. So you're really talking about a $330 million operation, $140 million, $340 million operation. Mm-hmm. So first and foremost, I manage people. If you aspire to be an athletic director, your interpersonal skills, uh, your emotional intelligence has to be high. Right. Because you're, you're managing people. This is a people deal. Um, and you have to be sensitive to people. Uh, we have, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of, of fans and spectators. Um, mm-hmm. It's not just athletic events, it's concerts. Right. And so being sensitive to people is a critical thing. And so the interpersonal skills are strong. And then you, you need to have some, some tactical skills. You need to understand, be, a, be an accountant to a great degree. Um, I was one of those idiots that loved accounting. I, I, I took it in college and I right. loved it. And uh, So uh, that's an important thing to, to have. And, and then negotiations. Um, negotiated contracts with Nike and Coca-Cola and Gatorade and IMG and I just keep going. Right. You have to have negotiations. 
skills. So there's a broad breadth of things that you have to have. Yeah. There is no one track. There's mm-hmm. no one track. I tell people all the time, just get in athletics, mm-hmm. whether it be at Ohio State, Kent State, um, Santa Barbara, just get into athletics and learn as much as you can where you are. Right. You may start out in management, but that doesn't mean you can't go learn what a trainer does. Mm-hmm. You can't learn, and you understand this, Mecca, because you saw it as a student athlete. Yeah. Most people take the equipment room for granted. Yep. You know what? The equipment room has an inventory management control system. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. They got to keep track of all this inventory. Yeah. So go in there and understand what is their mechanism that the equipment manager uses to maintain inventory control. Right. Because, you know, as you well know, Mecca, athletes want more T-shirts all the time. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. For sure. <laughs> right, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Or, they, or today, the day they want another set of gloves. Right. right? Yep. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Gloves are hot. Gloves are hot. <laughs> <laughs> really hot. Right. So you got to keep track of all that. Yeah. And the same thing. Go, go learn about what an athletic trainer does. Yeah. When a student athlete gets hurt, how does the insurance work? Mm-hmm. How does that work? And then, then if they leave us, how does rehab work for us? We'll take care of a student athlete for two years after they graduate if they have an injury. Okay. So how does that work? And so there's a, there's a I tell people all the time, if you want to sit in this seat, uh, you need to understand all the operations. Because what I can't do is ask my teammates in the shot to turn over the, the basketball floor to an ice rink in a time frame that's not realistic. Yeah. One of the first things I did when I came here was sit and sat in the shot and watch my guys take the floor up in basketball and convert the facility from basketball to ice. Mm. So I knew exactly how they did it and I knew how long it took because I didn't want to make a decision on a double header. Right. That would, that, that would put stress in their space. So you mm-hmm. got to understand everything. Um, people don't know. I've sat in CDEC a number of times. Mm-hmm. So I know we have restroom problems in the stadium. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. This room is a nightmare. Yeah, so right. I, 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 so what I, and I learned that at Eastern Mission because I used to sit with the custodians on on Mondays and, and Wednesday mornings, and we used to sit and talk about all the facilities. So there's so many elements here, guys, mm-hmm. that, that I want to make sure I never ask one of my teammates and my my 500-plus teammates to do something that's unrealistic. Right. Uh, because they, they ultimately are serving our fans. Yeah. And, it seems like so there's – there's... It seems like there's no such thing as being too OCD when it comes to a position like this. Oh, it, it doesn't. I mean, you yeah. you got to be in on everything. Yeah. And, and uh, now, I, this morning, I just had a conversation looking at all of our teams' travel, where our student-athletes are going, because the CDC just said that there's a possibility that the coronavirus may become more prevalent in the United States. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I have to think about, okay, which teams do I have traveling where? Right. And then, you know, what are we teaching our young people yes. about their their mannerisms, their cleanliness, their etiquette, wherever they go, uh, to make sure you're washing your hands every day, to right. making sure you're using the washcloths we're giving you, giving you to wash, to clean off the back of the, the chairs on the airplane or the buses or all those type of things. Right. You know, things you, you know, you just don't think about. Right. And, you know, you know, you mentioned some of the challenges, which, first of all, it's just it's a lot. I mean, it just sounds like a lot. And one other challenge that's also important for us to talk about is, you know, how you've managed uh, kind of you're navigated through this space as a minority, right? Because we look at the landscape of college sports and if you look at athletic directors across the country, I'm sure the numbers are very small, um, very small percentage of them are, are minority. And so, you know, and then we there's a broader discussion with that, with coaching as well, especially in the NFL ranks. And how have you kind of navigated that and maybe used it as a tool maybe to even, you know, be powerful as well? Well, your uh, your last comment is the one. Uh, use it as a tool. So, 
when I became an athletic director at the age of 29, um, you know, I was, there was only three of us in the country. And so majority of the meetings I went to, uh, I was the only one in the room if they didn't show up. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I faced some challenges here and there. There was more, it was more uh, covert uh, racism than it was eight, uh, overt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you know what, you, feel, you can, you can, you know who the guys were. Right. And um, so we deal with that and, and, or you would be excluded from things uh, intentionally. Mm-hmm. And so those things occurred. Uh, but really what I did was I, every time I was asked about that, obviously a lot early in my career, you know, being a black athletic director, my goal has always been the best athletic director. Right. It's an honor for me to have the opportunity uh, to be African-American and, and in this industry. But um, I set a mindset that um, my goal was to be the best athletic director because I knew uh, it was a personal goal for me, but I also knew that I would have an opportunity to possibly open doors. Mm-hmm. If I did my job well, then I could be inspiring to others and then maybe uh, change some mindsets along the way. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's kind of the mantra that I developed early in my career and uh, carried it through. And and uh, they, we've made progress. We're nowhere near where we should to be. There's 15 in the uh, on the FBS level. Mm. Um, but um, that's nowhere near where it should be. Right. Um, so I, but I, I feel I feel like I I was fortunate enough to to also have a couple good mentors along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, who I uh, was doing interviews when I was the athletic director at Eastern Michigan, and EEOC affirmative action was huge. Right. A lot of times I called in to do interviews, and and we already knew who was getting the job. Right. Right. And they were. Just, bringing me and to meet, you know, EEO cert affirmative action uh, requirements. And I'll never forget, said Dempsey, uh, who was one of my mentors, told me that, Gene, you just got to keep going. Because mm-hmm. the more you do, the better you'll get. Yeah. And you just keep going, even though we know who they're going to hire. Right. Uh, and, 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 he, and he also said, you, you do such a good job, you impress him, you make it hard on him. Yep. You make it hard on him. And so I was fortunate to have him in my life and, um, and it encouraged me that way. Yeah, that's, that, that's awesome. Um, one of the things that you're, you're really well known for is your ability to raise funds and drive revenue. You talked about the size of Ohio State's athletic program and the constant need to find new ways to drive revenue because you don't want to just rely on let's raise ticket prices every year. You want to try to find other ways to drive revenue and and create support. You talked about your experience at IBM. What does it take to be a great fundraiser and and, and what strategies have you used that you think have benefited you in that space? Well, yeah, that's so true. I mean, that's a great one because my the skills that I developed at IBM and sales translated to fundraising exceptionally well uh, because I'm not selling a product. Uh, I'm really selling what we do for these talented and gifted young people. And I'm selling passion. And so when we have an opportunity to meet with a donor and talk about improvements to a facility or talk about a uh, health and wellness program uh, that we need funding for. We can talk about the impact that it has on people, which mm-hmm. is actually cooler than selling a, a computer because these are our, our future leaders. And so their investment in these people um, is significant. And what we try and do is make sure those donors or that donor um, is connected to our, our, our student athletes in some form or fashion. Uh, we're building a tennis facility here now. It's a $20 million facility. We just had yesterday a beam signing where donors come out and sign the last beam that goes up in the building. And and uh, we had our teams there. Mm-hmm. And so the donors had an opportunity to inter- interact with the tennis players, take pictures and, and connect with their investment. The investment is not the facility. The investment is in the individual student athletes who are they're really talented they're really gifted and, and they may they're, once they leave us their impact on society will be significant in whatever space they're in and so uh, we were able to 
I feel fortunate that I had that IBM experience because it helped me learn how to articulate things in that way. And um, uh, so I, I enjoy it. Uh, we are constantly looking for revenue. This coming year is going to be a little bit challenging for us because we didn't raise ticket prices. So it's the right thing to do, but we still got to figure out ways to generate more revenue and we will. Speaking of that, actually, uh, you know, Ryan, Ryan Day just got an extension. Uh, well, at least a proposed yes. extension, which, uh, you know, obviously yes. from, from our vantage point as fans and understanding the landscape of the current market, it's it seems more than justified. Right. Talk to us a little bit about that. How do yeah. you go into that process? Right. Because it seems like there's a there are obviously market considerations. There's obviously, like you said, fund funds, <laughs> like what's available considerations. Yeah. How do you determine like when when you're going to do something like that and, and how that process works? Yeah, it was kind of in December. Um you know, we uh, started the conversation with him in December, and because um, I there's a cycle here on on salary increases for football, and all the assistant coach salaries are dealt with in January, and their contracts run to February, so we kind of do all that in January. Right. And Ryan, although he had a contract, um, I, I looked at his performance, and then I just looked at the national and Big Ten data. Mm-hmm. Uh, made no sense for him to be seventh in this league. Yeah, yeah. It made no sense relative to compensation, and and um, I just felt that uh, we needed to be Ohio State and and come up with a strategy to get him to be uh, number one based upon the data we have now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. what we ultimately put in place, uh, he probably won't be number one, uh, but he'll at least be in the top three. Right. And um, and that's what that's what my goal was. So I started the conversation first with him. Uh, then we met with President Drake, and then we put in place uh, the strategy to, to communicate with the board and, and get it done. Um, so it was it was just more what you guys said earlier. So it's really the national and um, Big Ten data, and I lean a lot to Big Ten data. Um, I certainly look at the the national uh, landscape, but. Uh, you know, we're in the Big Ten. Right. We yeah. win the Big Ten. We're in the national. So, uh, and and we have one of the best bonus structures in the country. Mm-hmm. So we looked at the base numbers that you guys saw, uh, but they also have a bonus structure that's it's very uh, it's a great incentive plan program. And um, so, if they achieve those those incentives, they do exceptionally well. Right. And actually, I wanted to follow up a little bit on that because the actual on the actual Ryan Day hiring, right? Because it to us it was very a very progressive hiring in the sense that he doesn't fit the necessarily traditional profile, right? He's a younger guy, right? Doesn't have experience as a as a head coach um, before here, and that's that's pretty groundbreaking for Ohio State. I'm sure there are some some challenges with that. What? ultimately made you decide that, hey, this is the guy, and how does it feel? It's pretty much hit a home run um, in the first year on that hire. And one other thing real quick on that too, Gene, is also, you know, typically, you know, people, a lot of fans expect that, you're, you know, for Ohio State, you're going to open it up to the whole, you know, a national search because this is Ohio State, you know, and, and, and talk a little bit about how you dealt with that kind of expectation as well. Yeah, that's a great one. The, the, the uh, you know, the, the natural inclination is, is that's what you do in, in a normal cycle. Uh, but uh, our process was a little bit um, uh, not normal because, you know, Urban uh, was really for about six, seven weeks trying to decide if he was going to keep going. Mm-hmm. And those last four weeks, you know, it got more intense every Sunday. We'd be talking about it. And, and, uh, so I started my process in season uh, of looking at people across the country. And, uh, of course, we I had Ryan. <clears throat> we had almost lost Ryan the January before he stayed. So I made a commitment to get him to know him more, uh, which I did. Um, met the president. Um, and then we had the case where Urban and I set out. So I watched a ride run the program in, in our absence because um, people forget that was also August, right? Right. So yep. August, frankly, frankly, August is harder than game week. Yeah. Because people don't think about it, Mecca, right? 
So when you have uh, chaos or adversity, um, and you got you got to take over a program with that, the time where it could really go haywire is in that window of time. That's it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he managed it excellently. Mm-hmm. All the support staff, the players. Uh, he came up with a strategy to keep them together. Yeah. And then they got into the season, and they just rocked. Yeah. So then I obviously had a chance to watch him in the interviews. He did that. Did great with the interviews. Uh, so his personnel management, from player to support staff, uh, he handled it excellently. Yeah. And so I had that that view of him, and then obviously getting to know him a little bit more through the season. And so when I got to that point. Um, I had my pros and cons list, um, and I, I had two other candidates, sitting head coaches. So I had to make the decision to your point about, well, okay, am I going to open it up and, and bring these guys in, go see them, or am I comfortable with Ryan? And every time I, I looked at my pros and cons list, Ryan kept coming ahead. We didn't have a program that was that needed to be blown up. Yep. It was Urban had done a great job here. He knew our system, and here's the most important thing to me. Um, he knew the profile of athlete that we needed to recruit. Mm-hmm. This is a different beast, and I am not going to recruit a student athlete who is going to pick a major, get into their major, and in their junior and senior year can't compete in the last classroom. Right. I, I, that's a disservice to that young person. Yeah. And so – uh, Ryan understood that, you know, we may take a one or two risk here and there, but it won't be wholesale. Right. And so, um, but anyway, I, I just got, and, and then I got gut check comfortable and he and I, he and I hit it off, you know, individually anyway. Yeah. So I decided not to open it up and, um, and made my presentations to the president and the board, and they all supported it. Well, well we're all, we're all happy with the like many of your decisions. <laughs> you made the right one. Yeah. So, so Gene, I want to share this. Yeah, it's up. not easy. Yeah. It, no, it wasn't easy. I, it really wasn't. You know, you, I had a number of sleepless nights, and I'm and sure. um, it was a huge responsibility. But I had so much confidence in, in him, and and I had confidence in my evaluation. Yeah. Um, this football uh, IQ yeah, is through the roof. It's through the roof. It understands it's people too. There's so many. Yeah, and the I mean, players love him. There's so many things like uh, he did during the season. I'm like, why did he do that? I mean, that onside kick against who was it, Maryland? Uh, yep. I forgot who. The pop up kick. Yeah, the pop up kick. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? what? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's what I love about him. He's see, the thing I love I about Ryan too, is that he has a quiet confidence, right? And um, he's yes. he's he's not arrogant, but he's very uh, assured of himself. And he's on top of everything. He's on yeah. top of things, and you know, also he's a good, good communicator. We talk to players, and 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 they love him to death. I want I want to transition real quick too, because I could probably talk about Ryan all day uh, about uh, kind of the personal image and likeness thing with the NCAA and kind of how that's yeah. developed. You know, obviously, in, I think it was in October, um, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, signed a bill into law that essentially said by 2023, players would be able to, you know, profit off of their name and likeness and they'd be able to hire agents. I think you actually had a little bit of uh, a pushback on that initially, particularly because uh, it kind of if you can't just have it in California and then not have it anywhere else that creates right. a number of dish, different issues. But then shortly after that, um, the NCA board voted on the issue and essentially, you know, now also has plans to kind of put that in place. And I think each uh, division has until 2021 to kind of figure that out. A couple questions I had yeah. on that is one is what is your initially uh, basically first what's your position on that whether or not you think that is something that should be happening players um, benefiting off their name and likeness and then two what challenges um, will will this kind of bring ultimately into the kind of landscape of college college sports? Yeah, I'm actually glad we're here. Um, actually, uh, I chair, I co-chair uh, the committee that the NCAA created. Uh, to come up with a strategy on this. And we actually started in May of last year. And uh, we presented our re- first report to the board, NCAA Board of Governors in October. And that report uh, recommended some principles and a framework for the membership 
to discuss this issue, and it also recommended that uh, we modernize and increase athletics and allow student athletes to use their uh, to use their name, image, and not likeness to, to to monetize. So we made that report in October, and then um, we created three groups, three uh, groups in Division One and two and three. Uh, one group is looking at individual licensings. Another group is looking at group licensing, and another group is looking at work product. And work product is is the, those type of activities that are are business related. Someone creates a business, and they are um, a guy, for example, is a musician, and he's selling his music on iTunes. Uh, they have sponsors, things of that nature, pop up ads on their social media platforms, so on and so forth. So uh, we're studying all three of those and. And uh, I'm very confident that um, we'll come up with um, something where student athletes can take advantage of their name, image, and likeness. We have to present another report in April, okay. um, and we're, we're, we'll submit a report that will continue down that road, and then legislation will be created and voted on in January of 21. There will probably be some things that we recommend in April that we are hope. Are, we hope are implemented right away, mm-hmm. uh, but we can't predict that, but we're hopeful of that. Um, and I think the biggest concern is recruiting. Mm-hmm. So that's the difference for us. We're not like the Olympics. We're not like the pro leagues where you get drafted and you go play where you get drafted to. Right. Or the Olympics, you play for your country. We recruit. Mm-hmm. And that's the real challenge for us is in this space, making sure uh, we create a system uh, where young people aren't taken advantage of, mm-hmm. where young people aren't misguided by uh, the unscrupulous character that says, hey, look, you go to my school, I'm going to make sure you get this deal right. mm-hmm. and make this amount. And that's that's what we don't want. And we want our student-athletes to lean as much as we possibly can to the same freedoms that other students have. And that's name, image, and likeness. And so... Um, recruiting is the big space. Um, we just have to figure out how do we minimize the, uh, uh, ability for the unscrupulous character to enter into the space and sway a student athlete and take choice away from them. Um, that, cause that's, that's just not right. Yeah. That's not, so we, we, that's actually, that's actually the conversation that the Mecca and I have had about this at length is, how do you structure this in a way that benefits the athlete, um, but then also um, avoids, you know, the corruption and a lot of the un- unsavory characters that are involved around the world of agencies and, and marketing entities at times? And how do you actually create a system that does benefit? I think Ohio State has done a great job, specifically in football with helping players understand more about their image and likeness internally. So I think you guys are naturally headed in the right direction. But I think also one of the things we've talked about is from a marketing standpoint, do you think potentially an internal marketing staff or or something like that is what's, what's going to make sense? How do you structure this to make sure guys, you know, the NFL has a system in place where the players get the royalties on, on their Jersey sales. How do you set a structure right. in place that actually makes sense and also prevents, prevents corruption and, and some of these people from getting involved? Yeah, I think a uh, couple of things on the, on the corruption piece. I think one of the things we have to figure out how to do is make everything transparent. Just do everything we can to uh, bring uh, transparency to every deal that's out there. And that may be that there's a a registry system uh, where every athlete registers their business and, and how much money they make because they got to file taxes yes, at the end do. of the day. Mm-hmm. So I keep telling people all the time, don't worry about the NCAA. You better start worrying about the IRS. <laughs> and, and so, you know, so how do we make it transparent? So if we see someone got $100,000 for doing an ad, somewhere at some school, you know, we can say, now, wait a minute, that's, that's significantly above market value. What's mm-hmm. the deal there? Mm-hmm. And somebody could, could get in on that. And, and so that's one of the ways to kind of mitigate some of that. Uh, but, but I think what, to your point, I think schools like ours uh, will end up with 
some type of NIL program. It's just going to happen. Yeah. Um, we already, frankly, have the elements of it. Because mm-hmm. we basically have a brand new. Yeah, right? Sure. So when our football is easy, because when they come here, actually what's interesting, it starts before they come here. So if you come here as a recruit, we uh, put you in a uniform mm-hmm. and you're up on the digital platform uh, with Ohio State uniform on and we'll hope you choose our place. If you choose our place, you already have that. Yeah. And then your your followers grow already. Yeah. Right? And so we're going to help you grow your followers. Um, and then we're, we're in the process now of, of trying to make sure we put in place a process where our student athletes have access to their photos and things of that nature real time. Mm-hmm. So when they come into the locker room after a game and they get their devices, they can download you know, the pictures they want and then, you know, put it out on their platforms. So, cause this is all about followers and this is what I've tried to help our teammates, my teammates understand. This is not just about, you know, going to the mall and signing autographs that the, the new world order is the digital platform. Right. And, uh, I think that's where young people uh, will have their most success because they'll. That's what. That's where they're going to have time. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, you, you're not going to have the time to go and shoot like five thousand commercials, but in your digital space, you can do a lot of different things. You can become an influencer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so anyway, we 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 want to help them do it the right way. Uh, now, the other benefit for us, I see, is. You know, we, we spend a lot of time teaching our freshmen that, you know, you need to be careful what you do in the digital space. Mm-hmm. You know, what, right. what, type, yeah. what you say yeah. and what type of pictures you put up, sure. right? Yeah. Yeah. So yes. That's a hard <laughs> lesson to learn at that age. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Because kids want to be kids, right, too? So it's it's hard sometimes, oh that conversation. God. We literally we pick somebody and go all the way back into high school and middle school and say, look at this stuff you got up mm. got up here. Right, yeah. right. Teach them, you better clean it up. Yeah. But yeah. Th- this will be another hammer for us, frankly, because if you want to monetize your NIL and you want a particular company to align with you, then how you behave represents your values. Yeah. And they, you know, Big Lots wants to align themselves with someone who shares their values. Yep. Well, and you, if your behavior you actually, in this digital space is terrible. So we got, I think it helps us. I, I have one more question I want to ask on this before we, you know, and then we have something else we want to do before we get you out of here. But that just brought me in, uh, just made me think about something else. And, you know, maybe this isn't fleshed out yet, but I just want to get your thoughts. How will that work if, for let's say, for example, Ohio State has a relationship, like you said, with Gatorade, Nike, so on and so forth. And here comes yes. Powerade, right? Because they're like, hmm, okay, we don't have the Ohio State deal. But if we can get, you know, star football player from Ohio State to endorse our product, um, then, you know, we still will be able to penetrate the Ohio State market somehow. How How is that yeah, going to work? Yeah. I'm not sure how it's going to work, but that's part of the discussion, and part of the discussion is is restrictions. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you have it in a couple ways. Uh, you have the student athlete that you may be recruiting that may already be a Pepsi, have a Pepsi sponsor, and we're cold. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you know, if you sign with Ohio State, you know, we're, we're you're going to have to give up that, and then you're going to have to re-earn another sponsorship in the Ohio State space. Mm-hmm. We own our. That's the thing that we're going to we're really working through right now is trying to figure out what restrictions do we put around that. Because the other piece is let's let's use Nike because everybody uses that. If Nike chose to take do a sponsorship with five of our athletes, they may reduce our institutional. Uh, right. sponsorship right right, right. so right. the dollars that we use to put into those athletes to be who they are will will be minimized and mm-hmm. so there's a you're, you're hitting on one of the issues that hasn't been resolved yet um i i don't have the answer in my head yet right. because i'm i'm probably more liberal than some of my colleagues but i i do think that there will have to be some type of restrictions in that space. Sure. All right. So we want we know you're uh, running low on time, so we want to get you out of here. We're going to put you on the spot a little bit. The little couple of fun questions that have nothing to do with athletic director. Uh, first question. Okay. Top your top five musicians of all time. Top five musicians that have influenced you in your life at any period in time. 
oh my God, you guys are like killing me. <laughs> making me go back into the day. You want to so, hear them all. You know, yeah. Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm an old, I am, I am an old school player. Okay. okay? So, uh, I got to go back to Luther. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Teddy Pendergrass, mm-hmm. Marvin Gaye, mm-hmm. the Dales. Yep. And Blue Magic. Wow. wow. Yeah. Oh, you're old school player for sure then. It's that Cleveland like, Who the hell is Blue Magic? <laughs> oh, I know. We know. We know. But yeah, might, a lot of people might not know. And the second question, yeah. of course, is this one's I'm interested in is your top five athletes. Oh, top five athletes. Um, all time. All time. Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. All time. Michael Jordan is at the top of the pyramid for me. I saw him personally so many different times in my life. That's awesome. Uh, Jim Brown. Mm-hmm. Jim Brown. Uh, obviously, I'm a Cleveland guy, and so uh, he's right there with me. Uh, Tiger. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, from a different perspective, because he was such a game play, game changer. Uh, Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. Uh, his his influence on our society um, just phenomenal and and probably um, you know I probably have to pick this is a tough one the fifth fifth one because there's so many I don't I'd leave off the list when I get to this point it's kind of like the CFP selection <laughs> but I probably have to say you know you know what I'm gonna help you I'm gonna help you for Ohio State fans just say Archie oh, yeah. Griffin <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, Archie was, yeah. you know, Archie was right there with Andre Agassi for me, but mm. I'm going to have to go with Archie. Yeah. I'm a big Andre Agassi guy, too. Yeah, that, that's I'm awesome. I'm you, man, I, I love tennis. I love Andre. I love how he competed. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna have to go with Andre, man. Archie Archie and I play golf. He'll kill me in golf. So. <laughs> Roger, Roger replaced, <laughs> unfortunately, had to replace Andre for me. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, tennis is unbelievable. Serena, oh my goodness, yeah, I know Serena's for sure. She's for sure in my top five, just not obviously what she does on the court, but obviously just what she represents from a bigger perspective. So, uh, Gene, yeah, this is, yeah, kind of like Muhammad been, Ali for me, yes, yes. Yeah. And Gene, thank you, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an amazing interview. Hopefully, we get to do it again. There's a lot more stuff that we would obviously love to sure. talk to you about, and uh, this has you know just been. Really, really enlightening. I think, you know, you are such a unique figure, like I said earlier in the show, um, not just at Ohio State, but kind of in just the overall landscape of athletics and all of the different things that you're involved in. We probably didn't even touch on all of them, but uh, this has been awesome. Thank you, you so and, much. And you've been a great mentor. Thank to, you, guys. I appreciate it. You've been a great thank mentor you. to us as well. Well, thank you. Anytime. I'm glad you guys are doing well. Thanks, Gene. All right. Have a good one, man. Thank Enjoy the guys. rest of your day and the rest of the weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Go Bucks. Love the Pilot Boys podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. We have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys podcast. Show us some love today. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast, episode 16. Time for some news and notes, V. You ready? Let's get to it. So let's start with USC, man. Uh, you know, it's all kinds of stuff you hear about. Been hearing about USC lately, including the, obviously the scandal with the, Aunt Becky, right? And, <laughs> so, but the good news is that they've actually done something that's actually positive when it comes to schooling, at least in my estimation. Uh, they eliminate they're eliminating tuition for families making under eighty thousand a year, uh, and they're not including your mortgage because that typically what people will say is, oh, if you have a house worth this this amount, yeah. Then, Whatever. Um, so that seems to be something that's uh, that's positive, moving in the right direction. Definitely is. I think this is uh, the state of New York uh, started this process, and now California seems to be following suit. But college should not de- completely debilitate a family's financial situation, and the opportunity for people to advance should be should be given to people. Yeah, I heard somebody talking the other day saying that they're. Uh, their their daughter's tuition is like fifty seven thousand a year right now for undergrad, and it, I don't even think it was like an Ivy League school. Not to say that that's the only place you get great education, but I was like, wow, that's what the type of month debt that people it's are going crazy. into. It's you crazy know? the the costs of going to college keep going up, and the return on investment doesn't seem to always be 
that and that's yeah. that's the point right there, right? It's one thing if you're investing in something that you know you look back and you say, okay, well, I see how I'm going to get my return back. But I have a lot of friends, and I'm sure you do too, who are still paying off loans and not doing what they wanted, and not necessarily, you know, um, being viewed as that highly, you know, um, job whatever. You know, like for example, like if they're, not, going, they're not getting good opportunities. For example, if you're going to be a high school teacher when you graduate, which is a very very great thing to do mm-hmm. and you go to school and you pay $60,000 a year, the return is going to, is yeah, take your lifetime to get it yeah, back. So, exactly. so we'll see how this thing shakes out. Obviously I think this is one of, of many moves. I know a lot, some people are concerned about, you know, how's the money going to work? Who's going to pay for it? What will that do for my taxes? All that type of stuff. And we'll see how that shakes out. But I think the sentiment itself is good. Let's move on uh, real quick. Penn state, they named the building after Guy Bluford, who's the first African-American in space. He's actually from Philly, and he's a PSU alum. And Guy Bluford actually has meaning to us as Pilot Boys. Uh, one of our releases uh, a couple years ago, you know, we had a bunch of names on our, on our hoodies of people who were, you know, relevant in the space, aviation, um, and flight industries. And Guy Bluford was one of the people that we had on there. So that's pretty cool. It's really cool. Really cool. Midwest guy. Yeah. Uh, speaking of legends, Katherine Johnson, one of the mathematicians that was featured in the awesome movie Hidden Figures, she passed away at 101, 101 years old. Talk about living a full life. Yeah, she definitely, she definitely lived a great one. So rest in peace to her, and um, rest in, you know, rest in peace to a lot of people. Actually, um, speaking of that, Von Bell's brother was killed in a car accident. Uh, super sad, man. He was actually, I think, a basketball player at University of Chattanooga. He's a coach. He's a coach? Yeah, I think he's a coach. Okay. And uh, that's just sad, man. I mean, you know, when you the amount of people that you hear dying from car accidents, it's, it's insane. It actually starts to make me think about, you know, what the future looks like uh, for driving. You know, like self-driving. There are studies that are saying, like, self-driving will reduce the amount of accidents by, or autonomous driving, excuse me, reduce the amount of accidents by, you know, a ridiculous amount annually. I mean, I just hate hearing people dying of car accidents. It just drives yeah, me Yeah, any of those those kind of tragedies that aren't, that are avoidable are always sad to hear about. And we got to know Vaughn pretty well, and prayers out to him and his family to, through this tough situation. Yeah. Another piece is, wow, I feel like we're starting on a solemn note here, but, you know, Kobe and Gianna, uh, they finally had their public memorial on February 24th in L.A. at the Staples Center. Uh, There are a lot of notable moments. Beyonce obviously singing, Michael Jordan making probably one of the most heartfelt speeches we'll ever see and hear. You don't ever get to see Michael Jordan that way. Yeah. Uh, Shaq, obviously. Um, You know, it was sad, very, very sad, but I, I think it was fitting for someone like Kobe Bryant uh, to kind of have that type of that type of send, sending off, you know. Yeah, I was very surprised to see Vanessa um, come out and speak as well, and mm-hmm. for her to recognize and share um, her husband and her daughter with the world, knowing that they were grieving and are grieving, as well as also special. She had no obligation to do that. Yeah, that was awesome. And I heard, uh, you know, I think they interviewed her, and she had said that she had written a speech. Um, for that memorial, but she wasn't sure if she was going to do it. And it wasn't until like literally, you know, during the memorial or at least at the memorial that she decided that she was going to. And I think it was, it was very, very powerful. You know, you can't tell people how to grieve and how to deal with these situations. Um, but I think that she showed a lot of strength by doing so. And um, a lot of people actually, I think, benefited from it. Yeah. One of the things that she said was that they had to go together, which was a sentiment that through watching, through watching all of the media and stuff that was going on, we all as outsiders got that sentiment to hear from her was powerful as well. Yeah. Uh, speaking of L.A., uh, Harvey Weinstein convicted, <laughs> finally. Uh, at first there was, uh, you know, the, the jury was deliberating and they said that they could not come to a verdict. And it's interesting, a lot of times, you know, and this is kind of kind of a legal thing, but a lot of times when that happens, what's happening is that it's not necessarily that the people don't have an idea. The jurors don't have an idea of whether or not they think someone is guilty or innocent of kind of the overall thing. It's all, a lot of times it comes down to the specific jury instructions that are given that if, you know, and the different charges, you have first degree and second degree and third degree. And so a lot of times it will, it will take, you know, the deliberation is really about that. It's not necessarily about, um, quote unquote guilt or innocence, but they got them. 
Yeah, they got him. It's always scary in these situations, especially when you're dealing with charges from deck. Some of these charges are from decades ago to actually prove it and put someone that everyone knows is kind of a demon behind bars and to finally pay a price. And what's funny, that walker that he was, (laughs) he was using (laughs) all trial acting like he was like some old man that couldn't walk as soon as he was walking out of the courtroom. He's walking down those stairs just fine. And just, just fine. It was good to see the handcuffs on. He can. <laughs> that's it, all that matters. It was, and you know, it's uh, you know, these stories like this, they 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 scare you a little bit as a as a quote unquote regular citizen, right? Because you know that you know money can buy really good legal defense, and it can also you know get people who are guilty to go free, you know. And uh, so it was good that, yeah, maybe they didn't get him of the highest possible charges, but they got him of enough. And I think I think he, he's facing up like 20 or 25 years. So, you know, that hopefully, should be the end ho- of him. Hopefully all the, all the people that had some financial interest in, in a relationship with him who've been sitting on their hands will say something now. Right, for sure. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, let's talk about a uh, piece of hip-hop news that's important for us. Um, Jada Kiss. He's dropping his uh, album this Friday called Ignatius. And the reason why that's relevant, a couple things. One is obviously we grew up on the locks and, and, and Jada yeah. Kiss, and he's one of our favorite rappers. I mean, bar for bar, there, there are not a lot of dudes that can, that can out-rap Jada Kiss, right? And his ad-libs, too. Ad-libs are crazy. And then also, um, you know, I actually watched an interview with him talking about the album, and Ignatius is actually the name of his A&R who I believe passed away, who um, was the A&R at the locks. And he, he was basically saying that's like his brother, you know, and um, and so it's kind of dedicated to him. And I think that's dope because, you know, a lot of times for artists, you, you, you hear about their relationships with people at the label or relationships with people and later on, and it's not necessarily a positive thing or they find out somebody was cheating them or, you know, it doesn't, they fall out or whatever. So to see a relationship that's last, I mean, what's that 30 years probably, you know, see that that's, that's dope. So I'm looking forward to that and we will definitely be checking out Ignatius this Friday. Uh, Let's switch to some sports stuff. Joe Burrow, man, in Cincinnati, this, this story is, (laughs) this story is heating up and, and getting a little bit interesting. You know, they've, Initially, you know, Joe Burrow wasn't, um, you know, that forthright <laughs> with saying that he wanted to play for the Bengals, right? And so there's the story, you know, because he didn't say, yes, I absolutely am going to play for the Bengals and that's my dream team, you know, it became kind of a big story of does he want to play? Is he not going to play? Is he going to demand a trade? What is he going to do? Um, and now, you know, he came out and said, look, you know, whoever drafts me, I'm going to show up, you know, but you could tell he doesn't seem to be too enthusiastic about playing for the Bengals. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. It's hard to really know what's going on, whether this is just the media creating excitement around the draft and the combine like they do every year. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I will say is Joe is showing why he's a pro, like in yeah. how he's handled everything. Right. And I think he did dismiss it. Um fairly well yesterday and saying, look, I don't, I would love to be the number one draft pick, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll go where, but there's no guarantee that they're going to draft me number one. It would be kind of arrogant for me to say, yes, I'm, I'm going to go to Cincinnati. And like you said, maybe nobody, the truth is nobody wants to go to a team that's bad and has been bad and doesn't show much hope for the future. Right. Um, but also there is excitement. You do want to be the number one draft pick. That is that is a huge accomplishment. Well, I think for Bengals fans too, it's just like you know, kind of a slap because you know you you, you expect it's like the LeBron story, right? You expect LeBron wants to play for Cleveland, you know what I mean? And Joe Joe Burrow being from Ohio and Southern Ohio, you, you know, Bengals fans want to be able to say, yeah, of course he wants to come and and play for the Bengals. And but I don't think that's relevant. I think it's being overblown a little bit. I but, do think if he gets drafted by them, he'll show up. And but bad organizations have have ruined very very great quarterback prospect so it is a legitimate fear too it just puts him in a tough position on what to say to the media yeah and then now they're trying to you know paint him you know they said his hands are small and he kind of made a joke about that which i thought was funny which actually brings brings us to kind of the next topic um which is the nfl combine he's not throwing at the combine chase young decided he's not working out at the combine it's interesting you know and we'll talk about this with some other people later you know in, in future shows but it's interesting um, to see guys kind of take their, you know, power into their own hands a little bit and say, look, man, I'm not coming to this meat market and letting you just poke and prod me and, and dissect me into the most minute details. 
I'm going to go look at my film, you know, and if you don't think and I'll throw for you, I'll come to your, your facilities and throw for you or whatever. But I'm not subjecting myself to this meat market. And you could get hurt every every time you physically you display your physical skills like that. You could get hurt. And we've seen that happen, too, where guys have gotten hurt at the combine um, and have dropped. So, you know, the combination of those two things, we've been able to witness a combine and and heard the horror stories of what goes on. If if for guys like Chase Young and Joe Burrow that have nothing to prove, why take that risk? I, yeah, I, I'm I mean, a big fan of it. Yeah, and and these two guys in, in particular, and, and you know, this may not be true every single season, but this particular season, first of all, Joe Burrow had probably the greatest season in the history of college football as a, from a quarterback position. I mean, arguably, right? Mm-hmm. It's not even a debate whether or not that's true. So for him to go workout is not necessary and then chase young on the other hand also is being touted as one of the best prospects at his position in the last 20 years even over the bosa brothers who are both drafted drafted in the top three uh at their position so you know there's no reason for them to go and do that um speaking of football and ohio football the browns man <laughs> just like every week i swear there's something happening with the Browns and the organization and news and it's random. It's, it's from players to, you know, the, the organization itself to the media. And this week, uh, ESPN Cleveland suspended Tony Grossi, who's, you know, one of their radio hosts, uh, because basically a live feed caught him calling Baker a fucking midget <laughs> and they picked it up. And so, and so he's been suspended and, you know, Tony Grossi and, and Baker have had a long history of not necessarily getting along. A lot of people actually in Cleveland don't, particularly care for Tony Grossi, to be honest. Uh, and, you know, beyond the fact that it's, it's offensive, right, you know, from all many different angles, it's also just like dumb analysis, right? If that's what you're upset about, you know, height, for example, especially considering that some of the best quarterbacks in the league, you know, are around his height, you know, from, you know, Drew Brees to Russell Wilson. It's not like, what are you even talking about, you know? Well, there's two things for me here. One, it was a hot mic, so we do have to, to, to understand he did not, intent for that commentary to be for public to, but you need to understand that when you're a media member that you always have to be aware of a hot mic. Yeah. This isn't his first rodeo. Yeah, and I think he wanted it to be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he was comparing, I think what this shows more than anything is the overall just disgruntlement of Cleveland Browns football and everyone around it. There's nothing but negativity around everything baker doesn't help the situation with how he handles the media he doesn't make any friends and it's just sad to see you know um and and also in the context of seeing all the quarterbacks that were passed up for baker right um i understand the the up being upset but to call to to take a shot a personal shot like that is just wrong yeah it's just wrong so you know a lot of people are calling for his firing you know people are not happy with the suspension by itself Again, we'll see how this situation plays out. It seems like he's a, you know somewhat of a made man up there, right? Because he's had a lot of things that people didn't like, and he still stays up there. Maybe their ratings must be really good, but um, you know, just annoying that it's just annoying that every time you hear about the Browns, if it's you know an arrest or you know somebody carrying you know <laughs> fifty five thousand pounds of weed or whatever, it's just like it's just annoying every week to hear it's a shit like show. This. Yeah, so hopefully, I mean, I guess some good news is that. Um, you know, when they talked to the the new coach, you know, and, and Andrew Barry, they, they kind of showed, a, you know, a renewed commitment to David Njoku and, and to Kareem Hunt. And, just, you know, there's so much talent on the team. I just, just I just wonder, you know, I'm not when you, you hire a coach that young and a GM that young, how much respect they're going to demand from the locker room. That's a question I have. Yeah. Not saying they won't, but it's one of the when you have a locker room that's got as many problems as it does well we'll see i mean every year we're always excited right about going into this season we always believe in something that's happening uh one thing that's definitely undoubtedly true is that the browns have a lot of talent and this is objective this isn't like just browns fans like oh did you hear about this guy that we found gem no these are like pro bowlers like perennial all-stars in the league so we'll see if they put it all together. I would have loved to see Eric Bieniemy run that offense personally, but yeah, well, we'll see. His day will come at some point. Uh, quick shout out, Sabrina Ionescu from Oregon, uh, Division One basketball player. She's a stud. She's been getting shout outs from everybody. Kobe was a huge fan of hers. She actually is the first D one basketball player to put up two thousand points, a thousand assists, and a thousand boards. I mean, she's a beast. Like when I watch her play, she's she's a stud. She has the Mamba mentality. I don't know if you saw her her speech at Kobe's. She mm-hmm. was very composed. Yep. 
um, handled that like a G for a 21 year old to, to have that type of composure. She knows she's on a mission to be something special and change the landscape of how women basketball players are viewed. Yeah. And uh, last thing, news and notes, um, Ryan day gets a raise, right? And it's a kind of an escalating raise. I think, uh, this year it, he jumps up about to 6.5 million. Eventually by 2022, I think he'll be making 7.6 million a year. Uh, which is still lower than what Nick Saban and, <laughs> and you know Jim Harbaugh and some of these other coaches are making, but it's a significant jump. Um, we talked to Gene about it. What do you what do you think about it? Well, I think it's showing the landscape of college athletics and and this coaching world specifically. It's like there is no loyalty beyond the dollar. But on the flip side, you operate in the environment that exists, and Ryan Day has proven to be an exceptional coach mm-hmm. and to hold on to him and compete. You do need to pay him in line with other top coaches, especially when what he's done in this past year, yeah. taking over for someone like urban Meyer, the transition never happens this smoothly. Um, and this, well, we were in the college football playoff. And yeah. so, so think about it too. I mean, you hit the nail on the head, right? So I think that, you know, obviously anytime you're having these conversations, you have to make sure that you, view them do two things one you view it in the landscape as things are currently mm-hmm. you know set up right so as things are currently set up Brian Day was paid four and a half million this past year that was a complete discount Ohio State got a steal as the market is currently set up I mean Jim now, how much did you said how much did Harbaugh was making like almost nine I think <laughs> <laughs> so think about it you know what I mean yeah. like that's a steal and even at you know six and a half and seven again compared to what the market is um it's a steal. Now, whether the market should be that way, obviously, is something that we always talk about. We don't necessarily agree it should be. Yep. But based on what it is, you know, he's definitely, quote unquote, earned it. And then the other thing, too, that I think will be interesting to watch as we move forward with this is how assistants get compensated. Because one thing that, that happens every year at all the top programs, but definitely at Ohio State as well, is that people come in and try to poach these assistants. I mean, from everywhere, from from different programs in D1 all the way up to the NFL. So that's another thing, too, that, you know, to comp- continue competing for the top talent in this landscape, you got to pay the assistance as well. Yeah, they have to address how these contracts work um, and think about, like, the impact that it has on kids when there's this much turnover yeah. um, in the coaching world and at least have some sort of um, something set in contracts to protect these guys from leaving after three months or a year, because it does have an impact on the psychology of young kids. Yes. Um, So that's, that's, that's the only thing I'd like to see. So for sure. Yeah. So anyway, shout out to Ryan day as Ohio state fans, we are actually fans of his. So um, again, based on how the current landscape is set up. Shoot. If Jim Harbaugh is getting paid nine, he should definitely be getting paid six. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. All right. That's all we have today for news and notes. You're listening to the pilot boys podcast. Love the Pilot Boys podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. We have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys podcast. Show us some love today. Thanks for listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. That's all we have for today's show. Big thanks to our guest, Gene Smith. Thanks to everybody for listening. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Subscribe to the Pilot Boys podcast on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, and YouTube. And please follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And follow the hosts on Twitter. I am at Mechadon Music and V is at This One. Always remember, be you, you is fly. Pilot Boys out! Where the Pilot Boys at? Pilot Boys, we got-